Right, uh, I'm Andy, as you've as Mark just prayed for Andy. We're continuing on with uh, this series about the life of David this morning. Today I'm talking about Saul and David. Last week uh, Mark was talking about David and Saul, but this week it's looking at the two, two guys. How come God forgave David but rejected Saul as king? So last week Mark centred on Saul's envy of David because David had the anointing which Saul lost. But how come Saul lost this anointing? God rejected Saul as king because he had disobeyed his direct orders. But David was also a man who sinned and failed miserably sometimes. David was an adulterer, he was a murderer, he didn't handle his family well. And yet, David was called a man after God's own heart. How can this be? Surely murder is a worse crime than saving a few animals from slaughter. Let's have a look at the characters of these two guys to try and understand why one would be rejected and yet the other one forgiven. The biggest difference between the two was the way that they responded when they were confronted with sin that they committed. So let's look at Saul's response to his sin. There we go. Saul didn't carry out God's direct command and Samuel confronted him about why he disobeyed God. It wasn't the first time that Saul had done what he thought was best even when it seemed wrong. Saul's response was to make excuses, trying to justify his actions. 1 Samuel 15.15 says this. This is, uh, uh, this is Saul speaking in response to, uh, to Samuel's rebuke. He said, It is true that the army spared the best of the sheep and the goats and cattle, Saul admitted, but they were but we're going to sacrifice them to the Lord our God. We have destroyed everything else. Saul here tries to justify what he's done and why he's done it. Have you noticed he uses the phrase, the Lord your God? Now, he tries to say, look, I did obey most of God, what God told me to do, but the army said it seemed such a waste to destroy these animals. They're good animals. Oh, okay, we're going to sacrifice them to God in a minute anyway. These are all excuses. He blamed others for his disobedience as well. He tried to say that the army said it. He tried to justify what he'd done. Just like Adam and Eve at the beginning of the Bible, when they were confronted with God, by God with their disobedience, they pointed the finger at other people to explain why they weren't really at fault themselves. They pointed the finger at others. Adam even tried to blame God for some of what had happened. He said, he said about the woman that you'd created had led him astray. It's always some other kid did it. It's the famous phrase, look it's her fault, his fault, their fault, not me. That can be our default position sometimes. This was uh, Saul's default position. He started out with a bright future as king. 
God blessed him with success and he filled him with the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus came, the Holy Spirit only came as a special anointing for special times. It came and went. Saul did have it, but he was unrepentant before and his refusal to acknowledge his sin and repent of it was what caused uh, God to reject him as king. Just like Adam, Saul was taking control of his own life, making his own judgments, becoming his own master. And this is where we can go wrong sometimes. How about David? What was David's response to sin? David committed some despicable sins, pinching another guy's wife, and then he already had several of his own already. I think one, one wife is hard enough to, to cope with. <laughs> I think one husband is hard enough to cope with as well. It goes two ways. <laughs> no, wherever there's more than one wife in the, in the Bible, you'll find trouble. Um, anyway, it, that, wasn't, that wasn't David's sin, not having more than one wife, but it didn't help. Right. David pinched another guy's wife. Then he, uh, then he tried to set up uh, uh, so that he could cover up over the mistakes he'd made. And when these attempts didn't work out, he then got the guy murdered. How come God let him off for this? And if you notice that God even used this liaison in the lineage of Jesus. This is how God redeems situations which are certainly not as, as he would desire. David's response was very different from the, the way when the prophet Nathaniel, Nathan even uh, confronted him. David's immediate response was, I've sinned against the Lord. David didn't try and make excuses. He took ownership of the sins that he committed. Therefore, God said immediately that David wouldn't die. But when we sin, there are always consequences for our sin. David didn't get away with it scot-free, but he was forgiven. Psalm 51 gives us a glimpse of David's feelings in this situation. It's a beautiful song which describes in details David's thoughts and emotions as he went through this experience. So this is Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognise my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. I give me back the joy again. You've broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins, remove the stain of my guilt. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. And then I'll teach you your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You don't desire a sacrifice, or I would offer you one. You don't want burnt offerings. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You do not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favour on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls again be sacrificed on your altar. How do you respond when you're confronted with sin in your life? We all have selfishness to contend with in our lives. We all have a tendency to put our own wants and desires above the way that we treat others or how God would like us to live. We don't always bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, even when we've sinned. We can so easily respond like Saul, making excuses. I don't know about you, but I've never had a prophet come up to me to say, repent, sinner. But... I do know that God has given me a conscience and my conscience pricks me that I've gone wrong. Especially when I'm in a close relationship with God is when I can hear him the most. It's so easy to rationalise and excuse ourselves. Okay, I was impatient and angry, but I was tired and that person was being grumpy anyway. If the other person was grumpy, then that's for them to sort out with God. But my impatience and my anger is for me to sort out with God, for me to deal with. I need to report, uh, repent of it and sort it out. Sin is sin. We must be in the habit of being humble before a holy God. We must confess our spiritual... Uh, sorry, I lost my notes here. Our spiritual poverty and plead for mercy and grace. God will forgive confessed sin, but only if we're repentant of what we're doing. Even if you fail again, you should have the willingness to try not to sin. The privilege of forgiveness is what Jesus won for us. It's only when we are broken that God can heal us. If you want to continue in your sin, then God won't step in and stop you. He'll just leave you to live your own life by your own rules. It's your choice. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. What God desires from us is brokenness. He doesn't require penance, or self-justification. The whole point of Jesus coming 
was to enable us to have a relationship with God again, to be forgiven. We can never earn our own justification. Only the sinless Son of God could win that, gain that, gain that for us on the cross. All God wants is a broken and contrite heart. Think about the Sermon of the Mount, which starts with the Beatitudes. And the very first Beatitude is, is this one, Blessed are the poor in spirit. You can only enter the Kingdom of Heaven by realising your own spiritual poverty. You need to acknowledge that you need the Saviour Jesus. We must acknowledge our own brokenness and be genuinely repentant to be truly saved and forgiven. Going back to Saul, he was a reluctant king, but he was a tall, handsome guy who the people wanted to be their king. God anointed him and used him all the time that he was obedient. But power corrupts and the job got to his head. He did what he wanted and he became a people pleaser rather than following the leading of the Holy Spirit. He was a fearful man because he relied on his own ability rather than the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He cared too much about what other people thought of him. He was swayed by their opinions, not sacrificing the animals, could have been the idea of the soldiers at first, but Saul as king had the responsibility to choose to obey God rather than man, and Saul chose man's good opinion. Last week Mark reminded us how Saul got upset when he saw that Saul's anointing, that God's anointing was on David, the anointing that he'd lost. It started when he heard people singing songs about David, uh, about David's achievements being greater than the ones that he'd done. And his, his envy of David took over him. He became to- totally irrational. He spent years trying to get David. His obsession with David is what drove him and took over him. His energy was tra- channeled into trying to get his hands on David rather than ruling his country well, serving God and subduing enemies. This is, what enemy, uh, this is what envy does. It becomes your master. Do you get envious when, other, when you see others having success? We're in a very competitive age. We're in a com- competitive society. The culture around us is constantly telling us what we should have and what we deserve. It feeds envy into us and a desire for more and more. When you do have success, it becomes addictive. Vanity is something which promises a lot, but delivers little. Like everything that this world offers, it's elusive. It's like a bar of wet soap that you can never quite get to grips with. You'll always want more. True joy and contentment can't be found here on this earth, from things on this earth. You'll always want that little bit extra. If I had this one thing, I'd be happy. Would you really? Those of us that have done the Freedom in Christ course will know, and I've said this in my sermons quite a few times, says the world around us will teach us that performance 
and accomplishments will equal significance. Status and recognition will give us security. And appearance and admiration will give us acceptance. These are false formulas. You can only get true significance, security and acceptance in your relationship with God. You can't do anything to achieve God's love. You already have it. God thinks you're wonderful. He loves you just the way he created you to be. Obviously he doesn't, he doesn't love the sin in you. We, don't, we mustn't look at what others have. That's between them and God. All God wants from you is to work with what he's dealt you with. Life isn't fair. You may not be beautiful, powerful, clever or talented, but so what? The most important thing is that God loves you and God wants you to use whatever he's blessed you with to the best of your ability. He will anoint anything that you do for him. You don't always get it right, but you should always be willing to try things for God and if you fail, try again. David did fail significantly at times, but he was a man who tried to serve his God faithfully. His confidence in facing Goliath wasn't in his own ability. He was passionate about God and he was upset that the Philistine was ridiculing God and his people. He went out to face Goliath, not because he knew, he knew his own strength, but he knew that God was with him. This is his call, confident call to Goliath's mocking. He said, You come with a sword, spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. When David did fall, it was when he was doing his own thing. The whole incident with Bathsheba started with David being in the wrong place. If you read 2 Samuel 11.1, 1, which is the beginning of that chapter, it says this, it says, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Amorites. They destroyed the Amorite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in, in Jerusalem. David was king. It was his job to be with the army, but instead he lounged around in Jerusalem doing what he wanted to. And then, when he was in the wrong place, he spotted a beautiful woman. He didn't turn away. He stared, he studied, and he lusted after her. Then he made inquiries after her and finally got her to visit him. It's just a very slippery slope. It was a steady decline, further and further into sin. So be careful where you go, what you watch, whose company you keep. Remember Martin Luther's advice. He said, you can't stop the birds flying over your head, but you can stop them building a nest in your head. So cut your thoughts and temptations in the bud before they flourish. The Holy Spirit is the one that will enable you if you allow him. We get a good glimpse of David 
through the music that he left us with the psalms. David's psalms are a blessing to many of us as we go through similar emotions and experiences. David was somebody who sought to please and serve God most of the time. He did have a good heart, but he failed because he was a fellow frail human. The important thing was that he repented when he realised the mistakes he'd done. We too must remember that we are frail, selfish creatures. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, If you think you're standing, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. God is faithful. He will not allow temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. We must partner with God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We all have a lifelong journey of success and failure. But acknowledging your own frailty and your need of God is the empowerment that you need right from the beginning. Be careful where you go, what you watch. You usually don't intend to sin, it creeps up on you. Sin's tempta sinful temptation offers you an awful lot, but ultimately all it does is lead you to enslavement. Sin is addictive. Its pleasure is momentary and you'll soon be wanting more. It's that bar of wet soap. It slips out of your grasp. It won't satisfy you for long and you get trapped. So run to God as soon as you can, as soon as you feel tempted. Ask for God's strength to resist. The Holy Spirit inside you will help you. I'd rather not do this, but I want, to, I want us to sing a song together. It's just uh, uh, David's words from Psalm 51 put to music. I'm a creative person and I like to sing but I like to sing on my own, but this morning I'll sing in front of you. I hope this song challenges you and blesses you. It's repetitive, you should be able to pick it up quickly. Um, but let's sing the song, sing from our hearts and confess to God that we're frail human creatures that need his help. And then after we've sung, I want us to spend a few minutes quiet with God before we start our questions. So seek God in repentance. Acknowledge your need for his love and support. Open your heart up to him and ask him to forgive you. So let's sing the song, have a quiet time, and then, uh, and then we will do some questions.
spend some time now just being quiet with God. Think about the wrong things that you've done. Seek God's forgiveness and then in a minute we'll do some questions together. have some questions together now. So the important one is the last one. Please make sure that you have time to pray with each other. At the end, asking for God's help in your lives. So, famous old first question, which comes in different ways. What part of today's talk challenged or encouraged you? And then, Do you think you're someone who's too quick to make excuses for your bad behaviour? Or equally, do you think you're somebody who's too harsh on yourself, expecting perfection 